We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. And welcome back to another episode of the Golden Blogs Podcast, BearCast, where we run you through all the Cal Golden Bears football and or basketball news that you need to know about. I'm one of your co-hosts, Rob Huang. Along with me is my other co-host, Andy Johnston. How are you doing, bud? Doing great. Boom, boom, bang, bang. Seven and five, baby. Seven and five. Oh, it feels so good. Um, all over Thanksgiving. Let me ask. You spent your time in for Thanksgiving... Uh, up north a little bit, nice little place called Wine Country. Did you get yourself a good feeling of turkey? Oh yeah, an amazing meal for sure. <laughs> so good. Uh, we uh, had an amazing prefix menu that was just ridiculous. I saw yours. Yours looked absurd. Well, I cook my Thanksgiving meal every year, and so it's the same. I mean, it ends up being the same sides, maybe a little tweak here and there. But did you do cheesy corn? Kind of, yeah. It's a corn souffle, so it's like sugar, flour, milk, butter, corn. Yeah. Crazy. Delicious. Did anybody crash? No one no one crashed. No one did. So I have a bunch of leftovers in the fridge that I've been eating for the last like couple days. <laughs> Made myself a sandwich um, twice. Absolutely delicious. Uh, I would highly recommend putting mayo on one like if you're going to make a sandwich out of thanksgiving leftovers one thing i highly recommend is putting mayo on one side of the bread and on the other side putting gravy mm. it just soaks it all up and then like you know but you got to use like a thick hamburger bun you know what i mean like you can't use like sandwich bread because it just gets too soggy but if you lose like a like a bun like a roll no. <laughs> just imagining the carl's jr commercial <laughs> <laughs> everything just dripping out the back yeah <laughs> as you eat it with one hand oh but man, those weren't the only festivities we had this week. The UCLA game to end the year. We had our last, hopefully our last, 7 p.m. or later start of the year. Yeah. I believe the, I mean, we'll talk about this in a little bit with like our bowl game projections and stuff, but I don't think any of them start at 7. I think most start at like 5. Is I think uh, Sun Bowl is like uh, actually pretty early, so it'd be like eleven a.m. Yeah, it's like a Pacific early start. And then I think the holiday though is potentially late. Redbox, I don't think so, but I, I think, think Redbox uh, is a five or four p.m. start. Yeah, I think Holiday Bowl might actually be late. Yeah, so I guess it's still in the cards. But you know what isn't in the cards? What isn't? 
that rhymes with Weezlets. <laughs> uh, the godforsaken snack of all Cal fans, Cheez-Its. Uh, Cheez-Its are no longer on the cards. But that is also because we beat UCLA. Oh, joy. Oh. Oh, oh, oh joy. Glorious day. <laughs> <laughs> oh, joy. So we're going to... You know what we do when we beat UCLA? That's what it is. The ASMR of opening a bottle of brandy. We've already opened it last week. We're back. We're Grand back. California. The Grand California from Napa Distillery. Delicious. Premium aged California brandy. Can't go wrong with California brandy. To celebrate the fact that the baby bears are indeed babies. babies. <laughs> and outside of the most boneheaded play I think I've ever seen... <laughs> Evan Weaver make in his entire career Cal we would have smashed them oh boy alright here we go here cheers my friend go Bears that's uh, a this. good little weekly tradition sweet Sunday brandy uh, Sunday brandy after a victory show up to work nice and slow in the morning <laughs> oh I mean let me ask I mean, I watched I watched it at home, just on the TV, and I was jumping up and down, relaxed, like having a good time. wasn't stressed at all. Maybe a little bit at towards the end of it, but most of it was just I pretty much covered the game pretty relaxed. For you and your your viewing experience for this one, I agree. I think my dad and I were, and my so we start off with always with the whole family, and then it always ends my dad and I just watching. <laughs> And uh, we were talking about how, you know, grateful we were that we had already clinched bowl eligibility. And, you know, we thought that this was a real possible scenario that we'd go into this UCLA game having to worry about, you know, getting to six and six. Just like 2017. And we didn't have to worry about that. And so that was really nice. And then UCLA was garbage. So that was also great. Um, we pretty much dominated them except for, you know, I yeah, I mean, defense gave up a little bit. We kind of did what we did all year, but the biggest difference was the offense. And the offense was just, you know, was, I mean, what a night and day performance from the 35-7 blowout that we witnessed in Berkeley just a year ago. Um, just sort of felt like our offense had evolved and their defense had not. And uh, their secondary was really bad. But we're also just taking so many more deep ball shots. It's crazy. Like, Chase has the confidence just to, like, look to the outside, see Clark lined up one-on-one, and and know that if he puts the ball up that he can high point it and make the catch. So, um, it was, dare I say, a great game. It was, it was just frustrating. It was frustrating because the game was over. The game was literally over in the third quarter when we stopped them. Yeah. And then we were punted a ball. Impressive kick. Like, not going to knock the kick. It was a good kick. Kicked it all the way to the UCLA sideline. And then the announcers in Fox Sports blamed Coin Dang for <laughs> a quarter, like literally forever. And I was like, it was not Dang. They're like, oh, how could Dang do that? I was like, we're not even sure what Dang did. I was like, he must have said something bad. Like, dude, what are you guys talking about? It was very clear to me that was 89 who the ball was broken up on the pass breakup, and he just straight kicked the ball to the sideline. And I just like... Wilcox was so mad, and I was just as mad. There I were mean, a lot of curse words said by Wilcox when they caught him on screen. Goodness. <laughs> I think if it was anybody else, but Weaver, it would have just been. But like, you would have been. They would have been benched for the rest of the game if it was he, anyone other than Weaver. They do. Like, he can't really do anything. <laughs> it's Weaver's like last regular season game, but then it's also just like 
so out of character. Like Weaver always does the flex or like he'll he'll jaw, but like to do something that stupid was kind of bizarre. It was it was oddly I was just I was furious. Furious. Because yeah. I mean UCLA was laying down. And I saw your tweet from that, which is they were like, We let them back in why would we let them back into this game? Just why? Yeah. <laughs> just a lot yeah, of why. So I was just sitting why. there on my couch, like dealing with stress when I was just like, Why am I stressed right now? <laughs> like we're winning. Why? We're winning by a lot. Like, why? Why do I feel this way? We should have won the game. Why? 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 <laughs> yeah, I mean UCLA didn't look like they wanted to play the rest of the game, right? Like no. you just you saw it in their guys' eyes. Like they were just like Let's just wrap up the season. Let me go home. Like, we don't have any more practice for the rest of the year. Like, just let me finish out school and the seniors go and, you know, the other guys come back for spring ball. Like, it's like you could see it in their eyes the way they were playing. They were like, they they did not want to play, like, the upset role, right? They didn't have anything to play for. Like, they were just, they were just done done and dusted, like, for the rest of the season. One of my buddies, JJ, said, like, do you want to go out there and line up to be hit super hard? Um, for a coach that is, you know, has one foot out the door. And I was like, nope. <laughs> so, so yeah, I mean, I think, uh, yeah, they got a bunch of problems. They have a lot of problems. There's a, a bunch of apparently Pac-12 schools that have problems right now. So we'll get into that. But um, just some other thoughts from this game was just, man, this was, I mean, granted, this UCLA team is not that good. Statistically, they're not that good as well. But I think this was arguably like our best performance of the year. Like everything that we did well over the course of the season finally kind of culminated here on offense and on defense. Like we finally got those interceptions that we've been craving for off of those tip balls. Like we we run we ran the ball well. We played played we play action was really good. Like the RPO game was strong. We went for the deep balls and connected on a few of them. But we also got the PI call on a few. Um, we finally ran some screens and ran that screen to Makai again that led to a touchdown. Jersey was the best. <laughs> <laughs> um, like it's just all those little things that we kind of wanted all year long, finally all culminated here at the Rose Bowl, and we got to see like a complete game. Granted, it wasn't a full complete game because you know we let them kind of get back into it. And then their backup Burton comes in and leads them on that drive. And I'm thinking, okay, they're going to – I'm thinking that we're, we're probably going to let them score and they're going to try the onside. And then it's going to, you know, put the fear in all Cal fans' eyes again, like just for like, you know, a few few minutes. But then we got that stop on fourth down, which, you know, kind of was like an em- emphatic thing that we did in the out-of-conference schedule. And to end, to end the out-of-conference schedule with that fourth down stop at Ole Miss and then to end – you know, the, the Pac-12 season on a fourth down stop. Kind of poetic justice. Poetic. Yeah. I think there's two areas that we saw in this game that, we have been, that we've been begging for kind of all year long. Defensive line. Cam Good is a monster <laughs> and was just blowing them up. Maldonado had his sweet, sweet revenge. On oh, the fours down. Yeah, that was oh, great moment. incredible. And then um, the offensive line dominated. The O line played the that was probably the best game they played all year. It was awesome. And then all of a sudden you're like, whoa! A lot of these guys are returning, and we're missing our most talented, arguably most talented offensive lineman right now, and Will Craig, and he's coming back next year. And uh, 
I remember, I'm not too old to, or too young to remember the days of the Sunny Dykes line. Now, we would play a different style where we would kind of let the D-line get a little bit of a push sometimes intentionally. So we would play on our back feet. But we would just look at that UCLA defensive line and be like, those guys are monsters. We could never contain them, right? We could never run the ball. We can never do pass protection, and we're always doing these games where, like, we're just like, oh, can we just contain them? And now we're bullying UCLA? Like, mm, here for that. That's that's amazing. Yeah, the D-line went to work Saturday night. Like, <laughs> they absolutely feasted. And this is this is the part that that I think we kind of talked about and you know, in, in the past few weeks is that next season this defense is going to be heavily reliant on that front seven. And with the experience and the the depth that comes back into that, like is going to be huge for next year, especially if we can get Luke Beckett and uh, Ziande back for their sixth year, because you clearly saw having Maldonado play the nose guard role was huge because it allowed Brett to like not align right over the center, but offset a little bit, maybe between the guard and the tackle. Or maybe even push Luke Beckett out to defensive end. Like it made it made everyone kind of shift to places that they could do more damage or places that they're more natural fit. And you saw that like work with the D line. Granted, with like all the young guys on that D line and the outside linebackers that will probably start playing next year as well, like the Oren Patus and Ogan Banjo coming back making tackles on special teams. Um, so. Yeah, and then it's, it's just, you know that that's going to be the strength of it. And then Coin Dang finally, I think, came into his own against UCLA. Like, <laughs> some of the two passes were just Oh, awesome. my goodness. I think like, four or four or five deflected passes. One of them was just, like, perfect read of the quarterback. <laughs> uh, and was it Austin Jones? No, sorry, Austin, Austin Burton. Burton. Um, yeah, just, just smacked that ball like blocked like watching an nba player <laughs> it was awesome dude he is such a good frame if he can uh if he can develop i thought he looked good in pass coverage um which was great to see and then on top of that i just think like you know there's so much potential behind what he could be for us next year um and then if we have some of the young guys come and fill in behind weaver it's pretty exciting stuff man i mean the cool thing about cal football is like you can kind of expect the defense to be where it's at so once you have that constant you start looking at things like the offense and um, you can talk yourself into this team you know just consistently being competitive and right I think this season we were kind of the definition of a 500 team we could lose to any team we could beat any team it was like very very clear I mean we're not going to lose to a North Texas or Davis but you know we could lose any team in conference like we did Right, like we did, and we lost some toss-ups here and there, and like sometimes if you're a 500 team, you can flip out and have the ball bounce your way and get seven, eight, nine wins, and other times you could be you know five and seven, and that's sort of where we're at, and I think there's a clear next step. I think it starts with recruiting, but all, overall, I, I mean, I said like if we were eight and four every year, I would take it every single year and not complain. And I do think expectations are a crazy thing, but seven and five back-to-back years with back-to-back bowl games for the first time in over a decade feels great. Yeah. I mean, look at just regardless of who the opponents were and how statistically bad they were or whatnot, like look at what Wilcox has done in his three years here. Like 
he killed that USC streak, right? He also killed the big game streak. He also killed the UCLA or at the Rose Bowl, which we haven't won in 10 years as well. So, or nine years, I believe. So, you know, he's, he's doing things that his predecessors weren't able to do. Granted, the teams that those predecessors played against are vastly different teams from what they were when he beat them. Like, the SC teams that Tedford played, you know, in the mid to late 2000s, plus what D- Sonny played, like, those SC teams were so dominant compared to what they were the last two years or so under Helton. And then, of course, we'll talk about the SC stuff, but, you know, they they have no idea what's going on over there right now. So, mm-hmm. we have no idea what they're going to look like going forward. And, you know, with UCLA, like with Chip, that's a whole other thing, too. Like, we have no idea what's happening there. And- <laughs> you have, like, UCLA in turmoil. Stanford in semi-turmoil, I'd say, because, like... Well, the fan base is, like, clamoring for them to get rid of Shaw. But I think he's built up way too much goodwill. There's no way. Yeah, with the no athletics department. Yeah. There's no way. But then you have USC, which seemingly had figured it out at the end of the year. <laughs> And had things going their way with assault like eight and four season in which they lost their top quarterback and most of their team <laughs> to injury. Uh, and then all of a sudden you have all these like fake news reports coming out. Um, yeah, but I don't want to spoil that part. But they're in tur- turmoil. You have ASU that had to that just let go of their entire offensive staff. I mean, Washington State. There's a bu- the media is attacking the hell out of Mike Leach and saying. The governor tweeted at him and said, how is this our top paid employee? And then you can go outside of the conference. I mean, and then you look at Arizona. Arizona is a tire fire disaster with Kevin Sumlin. And then... um, I mean, Colorado's revamping. Like, they're in year one of a rebuild. Colorado Uh, looks mediocre at best. Oregon State looks good. And Utah. (laughs) And then Utah's, like, probably the only constant. Utah looks amazing. Yeah. if they beat Oregon, I mean, and Oregon looks great, but if they beat Oregon and they don't make the the football playoff, I think I'm, I don't know, just going to tweet at someone <laughs> every single day for the rest of the year about expanding to eight teams. Even six. We can have that discussion. I think that's another podcast discussion, though. Six is killing me. Just do the eight. Just do the eight. I don't. Uh, what I'm saying is, winners, what I'm saying is a good compromise. What I'm saying is a good compromise would be six. If you think eight is too much, six is actually I don't think a bad compromise. But are you six? Are you giving a buy? You're giving a buy to the top two. Hmm. That way, you still get all of your conference winners in, but the two get a buy, and you know, just do the one versus eight. Yeah, right? you want that's yeah. your that's your NCAA bracket. Yeah, the know? one eight two seven. Yeah, uh, three six, and yeah. then yeah. That's it. Four or five. Yep. That would be beautiful. That would be so much fun. All right. But, but anyways, uh, everything's in turmoil. <laughs> and not only in the conference. It's in turmoil at Texas. It's in turmoil at Michigan. It's in turmoil at... Uh, Florida State? Alabama. Alabama. <laughs> apparently, <laughs> apparently people want him. Apparently want Saban gone. <laughs> you didn't make the playoff this year? You're out of here. What the hell? Um, and I told you, man, if Harbaugh was on the market, I swear, if you were a booster that had... A billion dollars, and you were willing to donate a hundred million to Cal, and told Milton to do whatever you wanted to, to get that football team to being top tier in the conference. How would you not look at Harbaugh <laughs> if he's available? You're saying sure, but like I know it's not. I mean, like, look, I love where Wilcox is at, and like none of this, it's all so made up. But like, man, man, I mean, but I mean, it, 
it's the it's, yeah. My dad had a good point. He's like, how, how long are you gonna have Harbaugh for? And so I think like you're like right, maybe he's there for like two years. And then, anyways, um, yeah, it's great. We're seven and five. We're going bowling. We're going to a good bowl. The players are gonna be excited. Um, they're gonna get bowl gear. We're gonna get practices, extra practices in. I mean, people forget like Coin Dang came with us on our bowl trip last year. Yep, he practiced, he practiced with the entire the, team. Yep, yep. So signing day is coming up. Yeah. Um, let me read you some notes from the game. So Cal beat UCLA eight twenty-eight to eighteen. It's the first time we've beaten UCLA since uh, two thousand nine, where we beat them forty-five to twenty-six. Cal improves the four and two on the road this season after going three and two in the road last year. This marks the first time since 2004-2005 that the Bears have had a winning record on the road in consecutive seasons. Um, also, with with that win and the SC win from last year, Cal has won games at the LA schools in back-to-back years for the first time since 1970. <laughs> Cal has also held his first, last four opponents to less than 100 yards rushing. You know that? Washington State 16 yards, SC 56, Stanford 61, UCLA 58, which is Weird because the two middle schools are traditionally known to be power run schools. What is going on in this world? And then Evan Weaver, by the way, congratulations to Mr. Weaver. As much as we said bad things about him, about kicking the ball and with that unsportsmanlike conduct, the dude now owns the most tackles single season record with, uh, by the Cal notes, it's 173. Hardy Nickerson set the record in 1985 with 167. If I'm if Pac-12 Network is correct, excuse me, Evan Weaver's now just 20 tackles behind setting the NCAA single season tackle record. I think 18. Was it? Well, Pac. Well, when I watched Pac-12 Network last night on Final Score, Ashley Adamson said 20, and that was like the number that came up like on the screen below. Hmm. But then I saw some tweets this morning that said the the number is 18. I don't know which one's right, but either way, he basically needs to get somewhere between 18 and 20. So. <laughs> so hopefully we play an opponent that doesn't bother to scout Cal yeah and just all. runs at Evan Weaver all day long he just racks up the tackles it's possible but at the very least if he get he'll probably end up being second like the second most tackles in a single season like because he'll get like what 13 right he's got to win the buckets award right yeah I, I think he's a lock I think you got to make him a lock at this point um some other things. Weaver also became the fourth player in school history to amass 400 tackles in his career. Now with 403. The others are David Ortega, Harry Nickerson, and Jarrett Willard. High, high praise. Those are some three lofty names to be standing next to. Um, the Bears also had six total sacks that set a season game high. Sacks were recorded by Cameron Good, who had two, Brett Johnson, Lone Toyaloa, and Aaron Maldonado. Isn't that crazy? That's insane. Yeah, it was it was a lot of fun. Yeah. It was a lot of fun. Coin Dang had four broken up passes in the game. Uh, and this is the stat that I think we, we kind of need to talk about. Cal improves to 12-2 and two in games that Chase Garbers has played for more than a half, including 6-0 and oh in games where he's played more than a half this season. The Bears are also 12-6 and six in games that Garbers has started, regardless of if he finished the game or not. This is like Jimmy G. <laughs> This is literally like Jimmy yeah. This G, is the Jimmy G before his injury, right? Version. Yeah, yeah. So, I want your take on this. Is is he the X factor? Like, is he the only guy that held us back from more wins? I guess. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, it 
It looks like it. It looks like it. It seems like it. I'm going to just go into the next year and like my New Year's resolution is like we're going full bore on this garbage train. <laughs> like, you know, F it. <laughs> Let's do this thing. <laughs> I think, I don't know. I mean, he just looks way more confident at running the offense. And I, I you know, there's a lot of things. You, maybe you could point to the learning the playbook and knowing the playbook. I do agree. Like something that you said to bring it all the way back to the preseason pod with you and trace was you mentioned that garbage was really good about getting the running back, like knowing where the running back should be positioned and lined up for each play. And so I think we saw that multiple times where he was kind of putting the running back in the right position, whether it be Dancy or um, Deshaun Collins or not as much CBJ, but like he was doing a really good job of kind of commanding that. And then he just has this really innate ability to kind of pull the ball and find space with his legs that, his recognition with it is faster than monsters. It's not like he, in my opinion, is a better runner. I think they both have that skill set of being able to get outside, like run, but escape the pocket. Uh, but I think Garbers is just really good at kind of sensing it. Um, and ever since he's sort of like opened up his willingness to just like throw the ball downfield, like great things have happened for us. Like simply put, just taking those shots, whether it be like PI, like being like it's college, you know? They're not always going to make the play. And like, yeah, we had an interception. Big deal. The defense is going to get you the ball back. It's not going to It's not going to break you. Yeah. Um, so I guess I, that's all to say, like, yeah, I guess he <laughs> is the X factor. And um, I'm down to kind of get behind it going into 2020 um, and feeling like we'll have a pretty strong stable of quarterbacks for that season. Yeah. I mean, we got a bunch of freshman guys coming in, too, that are – pretty talented I mean hashtag Jaden Jaden Casey <laughs> dude that yeah. dude is that dude is talented and there's some definitely some some other uh, talent that they're this offensive class I think is I mean it's a low bar to set in terms of like the offensive talent they're bringing in but you know how dare you <laughs> I mean Makai Polk is balling this year Makai Polk is good I love that dude and there was that one catch that he had on that it was like an in route uh, or a it slant, was unreal. whereas each fingertip. Yeah, I thought he had stick them on his gloves. Like yeah. he just he just grabbed it and just plucked it right out of the air. Oh, he's coming into his own, and I I wouldn't doubt it if he just explodes like a bowl game, and then we just see him bleed into to next year. But I mean, yeah, I I think the the next thing to go on is just uh, from transition from that is to talk about some of the newsworthy things that have been happening. One day after the season is over. Granted, the championship games have not even ended yet. Here, So can I just rant on something real quick? Please. Please do. This is the fundamental issue with baseball. This is it right here. Every other sport, when the season ends, the next day is mayhem. Yeah. Mayhem. NBA, it's oh, signings. Oh, right? free agency is like, is like all yeah. these free agencies, and you can even there's like a peer, a waiting period. But we still get a leak yeah, from all the, the Woj bombs or yeah. whatever, Woj bombs or whatever, yeah. right? So the NFL is kind of the same way. You have like big contracts. Well, you like, got the draft too, which and is then, huge. Yeah, you go right in the draft, um, and then you have college football where it's like massive firings, uh, and you know coaching lot, carousel, yeah. transfer portal, transfer portal, exactly. In baseball, it's crickets. It's, it's crickets. It's what? The winter meetings? Yeah. And that's pretty and much that's it. that's when it picks up. So you have to wait all the way from early October to the beginning of December. 
And anyways, this has nothing to do but other than say I think every other sport has it right. Yeah, you continue the storylines. You want your sport to be talked about 24 hours a day, seven days a week, right? And that's what the, the NBA has done a fantastic job at maintaining this. Holy crap. I don't think there's a league in the world that does it better than how the NBA does it. Like, with how well they've timed, like, you know, the NBA Finals. And then just a month after, it's like you got the, the draft and free agency. And then you got Summer League. And you get to see all those kids play. And then sometimes maybe in between you got Team USA playing, so that creates buzz for your NBA guys. And then it leads straight into the preseason. And then you're you're watching basketball again. Like they've they've done it to perfection. There's no off season. Yeah. There's no off season. There's pretty much no off season. Uh but we talk about college football off season. So many people have gone fire today. <laughs> like, I called you in the morning to try and figure out what time we were gonna meet today. And like in that time, like ASU basically had fired their entire offensive coaching staff. Um, we'll talk about the SC thing in a little bit, but that SC, SC news thing broke. And then um, what else What else happened? Uh, Texas, Texas, of, Texas fired their entire offensive and defensive – or actually they demoted their OC, and then they fired their f- entire defensive coaching staff. Uh, and uh, Missouri, Missouri fired their uh, – Entire coaching staff. Charlie Strong is out at USF. Charlie Strong is out at USF. Matt Luke was fired from Ole Miss. Uh, <laughs> this is just what we're coming off on the top of our head. There's plenty more here. Um, Marcus Arroyo, Tim DeRoyter, and someone Jim else Mora linked to the... to the UNLV job. Yep. So. Um, so what? So what? What storyline do you want to attack first? Helton. Helton. Okay. So the Helton thing. Oh, and we forgot to mention. Honorable mention, the day of our game against UCLA, there was a rumor that Chip Kelly had his foot out the door and uh, like hated mutual, working with yeah. people. <laughs> yeah. Hated having to work with people. And that was a quote. That was like, quote, I guess whoever wrote it, like it was from a source, hated working with people. Oh, my goodness. You're, college, <laughs> you're, a, you're a sports coach. What sports coach doesn't have to work with people? Runs an up-tempo offense. <laughs> Was pretty successful at Oregon for a period of time. Had two successful years in the NFL. The cons. Uh, skills. <laughs> Hates working with people. That's a people job. Oh, my gosh. Excellent at Scrabble. Ugh. Excellent at Scrabble. Uh, great with alone time. Uh, so, all right. Which which one do you want to talk about first? Helton, right? Yeah, the Helton News is the most interesting. So, this is hilarious because, all right, so it's... So here's my understanding of how everything went down. The SC Sports Illustrated site, like which is now owned by the Maven, right? So SC Maven, whatever it is, they report that which is I can't say it, but Maven's been the Maven stuff. If you don't know with like the whole, yeah with the, with that, the whole yeah. Maven background, like it's worth looking into and kind of learning a little bit more about because. It isn't great. And then so on top of it, you have this Maven outlet. And the Maven Cal outlet has also been doing some of these same things all season long. Yeah. So SC's Maven site. So basically Maven bought Sports Illustrated. They basically restructured the entire Sports Illustrated magazine and their editorial like uh, structure. And then they implemented all of these little sites for every single like big time university and program, 
And so SC has their own Maven site. They reported that through multiple sources, they've reported that they can report that they want, or SC basically wants Helton gone. No, it, the report was Helton was dismissed. Or, Hel- or Helton was dismissed. That's correct. And then Pat Ford, who writes for Yahoo and for Sports Illustrated, the- refutes it, <laughs> saying that no, I the sources I've talked to said that he is not being dismissed. And then a main S, uh, Sports Illustrated site points out that no, the Maven site is wrong and refutes that too. So like you had, <laughs> you had the Maven, which is owned, which owns SI, say that SE dis, SE dismissed Helton. Then one of their like big time reporters say that no, that hasn't happened. Then their main page comes in and says no, that hasn't happened. There's zero editorial integrity here. Like, no one checked in with anybody. And it's just an internal family fight. It's all Sports <laughs> Illustrated. It's all... Everything is being reported by Sports Illustrated right now. Wait. <laughs> <laughs> the, the refuting and the actual arguments are all being reported by Sports Illustrated. Can you imagine that on the bottom line of ESPN? Be like, according to sources from Sports Illustrated... Clay Helton has been dismissed. First reported oh, by Sports Illustrated. First reported by Sports Illustrated. According to sources, Clay Helton is expected to stay on. First reported by, <laughs> by Sports, Sports Illustrated. Illustrated. <laughs> According to sources, Clay Helton may either stay or be dismissed. First reported <laughs> by Sports <laughs> Illustrated. <laughs> uh, I mean, this was hilarious. It's it was absolutely bad. hilarious. I mean, it's just, it's just, it's just. Sh- Shit journalism. It really is. So it's just... so here's the here's another thing. It's like, all right, now you have this PR disaster on your hands if you're SC, right? So if you let Helton go, the the thing becomes well, one, Pat Ford ends up being wrong. And like a main S S side page definitely gets a hit for saying that they're they didn't report it correctly. And then they also get this thing of like Okay, you guys were kind of pressured into doing it, and it kind of makes Helton look good. Um, but then if you don't, then it's like a oh, you guys were pressured into like not letting it go because you realized the PR disaster that you had on your hands. Like, is <laughs> the I mean, it's a disaster for SC. Um, I thought that if they were gonna make that move, having it be very dis- I mean, it's not their fault. No, it, it's not. It's really not. It's they got to be super upset with. Well, the, here the, and here's the initial report. They're probably pretty upset with. Here's also the tweet that I sent you earlier today. Is that uh, Zach Barnett on his Twitter, who's a writer for uh, Football Scoop, who like they do all like the coaching hires and stuff. Um, they he tweeted out saying a source tells me Graham Harrell will be interested in leaving USC for Texas, independent of whether or not Clay Helton is retained for 2020. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. So More turmoil. That's the big one because if you're going to make the move with Helton, you do it in my mind to promote Graham Harrell to or somehow head retain coach. him. Yeah, but I think you'd make him head coach and take that shot that, you know, a top 10 SM, you know, top 8 S&P plus offense and with where the college game is going with supreme athletes like USC that that is the Next, you know, Lincoln Riley. I think you probably take that shot, and I think that's what a lot of SC fans want. Um, 
But now, <laughs> so now your prospect is what? You keep Helton and then Harold walks and goes to Texas because he just, it doesn't matter to him. He's going to go be Texas offensive coordinator. And then everything is in flux because, you know, the D, like Clancy's defense is, was me. I mean, it was what? Top 60 S&P plus, but it wasn't great by any means. No. Special teams was terrible. Yep. Um, and yeah, you just, I, I don't know. So they're in a horrible spot, and it's pretty enjoyable. <laughs> this is absolutely great. It's absolutely great just seeing turmoil left and right, and we're not any part of it. Granted. Yeah, it's so weird. It's so weird. In fact, it probably won't be weird for that long because it's going to come. <laughs> we're going to get ours. We always do. Yeah, not in the sense that we're going to fire anyone, but it might be that thing of someone someone leaves, someone leaves or someone gets poached. And, you know. We've we've been preparing for this for three years after or two and a half years after our first season, right? We were kind of like, all right, this def- at least the defensive side right now is too good. Someone's going to come calling, and they're going to get the opportunity to move on, and they're going to take it. Like, so we kind of talked about this like early in the year, but if DeRoyder, let's say, does because he's been he's been linked to that UNLV job, I believe it's the UNLV job, right? Not the New Mexico job. Or was I it one or the other? I think it was UNLV. Let me look it up. Okay. But either way, so let's say he let's say he takes that jump, right? And he, he goes back to being a head coach. Vera Wilcox, what's your play? Promote Sermon to defensive coordinator? And then Gerald Alexander to co-defensive coordinator? Is that what you would do? Because that's what... that's I think that's how, what, how, how I would sell it in order to get maybe... GA and Sermon both a little bit more money and a bit of a pay raise. It is UNLV. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so UNLV confirmed. I, I think that Wilcox is just going to go internal. Right. I really do. You you push everyone up and then you probably have to go hire one more defensive like staff member. Sermon's been a defensive coordinator at Louisville, right? Yep. So I think he's the obvious choice. You're dark horse for that role would be GA. But I don't think GA, like, DBs at times kind of, like, they got beat this year. So, like, I still think he has a little bit of room to grow. I, I mean, he think he's obviously fantastic. But, like, I don't know. Um, I could see co-defensive coordinators, maybe. I could like see that. the whole U- the Washington thing, right? Where you have him be, like, the passing defense coordinator. And then you have Sermon do the run game and overall yeah. game planning and play calling. Yeah. Um, and that just gives him another title, and it gives him probably another pay raise. Yeah, they do all that, keep all those guys. The interesting, the interesting quirk here is you. That means you have a spot open on the defensive staff. Do you make that phone call to Tosh? <laughs> oh my gosh, we're going there, Rob. I mean, I'm just <laughs> someone. Someone put asked Avi oh on Twitter today. My goodness, someone asked Avi on Twitter today, no. and I thought we. I, I wanted to ask you about this. Tosh isn't coming. Where's he on? Isn't he, he on the Browns? He's the defensive line coach for the Browns. I don't know. That doesn't seem fun, but I think that <laughs> I don't think he's coming. No, I don't. Uh, I don't think he. I don't think we hire him either. But I would retread on someone like Azanaro, though. Like I would if Coach Az is out at UCLA. You know, I would. But he's been a defensive line coach his entire career. That would mean that you'd have to probably push out Browning. Well, where are right? you? Where are you going to put Tosh? At linebacker. You're going to put him at linebacker. I'm sure he could probably coach up linebacker. 
which I I think he's like done kind of at or, yeah yeah I th- which I think he has done at Alabama if I'm not mistaken he did coach linebackers at one point so I don't know I don't I don't think they go that that route but I'm saying if that opportunity arises and you need like a punch from the recruiting standpoint like is it that bad of an idea maybe to call him and, and see if he's willing to come back like Granted, the money's probably significantly different. <laughs> the money's probably a lot worse. <laughs> I don't see why he would take it. Um, and there'll probably be some good coaches out there. But you're right. I think you just read it out like it just seems like there's been a tremendous amount of offensive turnover and not a lot of defensive turnover um, so far in, this, in the teams that are making these moves. But I just... I don't know, man. I just don't think that Tosh is going to... Uh, we have this discussion so often that I think it's just kind of silly at this point. <laughs> I mean, we had it when Wilcox was first hired too, right? Oh, uh, yes. Oh, yes, we so did. Much. We have it every offseason. So much. <laughs> every single offseason. What if DeRoyter leaves? Should we bring Tosh in as the coordinator? It's like, oh, my gosh. We talk about this guy so much, and I'm not sure if he ever talks about us. Probably not. Um, makes us sad. Let's move on to to the other side of the ball with the offense. So we have a big decision looming uh, because not we, but Coach Wilcox does, in my opinion, because the offensive staff, I believe, they're all of their contracts run out this upcoming year, like before the season. I think it's like all of them. Yeah, I believe according to the 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 contracts that I got uh, from the release, I believe that they're up in March. Um, don't quote me on that. I have to go back and double check, but they're all up this year. I think most, at least Baldwin is for sure, and I think Edwards for sure as well. Maybe not Toller, just because he came in a little later. Um, Toller, I keep for sure. But for yeah, sure, keep Toller. But you have that decision looming. Like, do you want to make a change or do you stick with your guy? Have you seen enough to maybe stick with your guy for another year and and see if. If you know if he can improve um, with the way he ended the year, but I wanted to, I wanted your take on it. Just looking at the season as a whole, like, is it enough from your perspective to keep him? Um, like, or would you prefer to see a change? If that change were to happen, we can talk about the direction that they might want to go. But for now, like that initial decision first, like your perspective. I keep Bo. Wow. On. And. I don't even think it's – I think what we saw in the last few games outside of the SE game where we got totally blown out was – I mean, in a way, if you had – dude, i got to stop using real-world examples. But, like, in a work environment, if you gave someone a uh, – you know um, – oh, my God. <laughs> you gave them – I'm going to forget. An assignment? <laughs> no. It's like – all right, so if someone is underperforming at work – Yes. You would essentially have multiple steps that you would take. And then finally, you kind of have this like almost like performance improvement plan. Yes. That's what it is. A yeah. pip, right. And so you write it down and you would say, you know, these are the areas that we want to see you improve in in this period of time. And if that doesn't happen, then we'll probably be forced to make a decision. And if we had had that opportunity with Bo Baldwin, did he not answer almost every single one of those? 
I think the Stanford game was like an excellent example of where all of a sudden like they adjusted on us and we adjusted right back again and then beat them because of it. And um, yes, I think it's important to look at the opponents, but also like there's a good chance that this team, you know, is capable of getting to a much higher win total, maybe sans Chase Garber's injury. And uh, and so I think the critiques against him are, you know, the offense at its ceiling still isn't that, you know, it's not gangbusters. But I also, I get scared of like making the move and having it be, having it have some negative impact on the defense or how we currently play. I think our current style of gameplay can be really effective with an offense that averages about 30 points a game. We already know, right? We scored over 24 points. We know we have a very good chance of winning that. We've only lost one game if we scored more than So just, I mean, he can do that. And I think, like, why, I mean, continuity above all else seems to be Wilcox's goal. I don't know if Bo is going to stay. And I think that's the big thing. I think he may or may not. Like, the bigger question is not on whether or not we'll try to retain him. For me, I think it's a matter of, is he going to stay? And if he doesn't, there's a lot of good offensive candidate coordinator candidates out there right now that I would love to bring in. So, um, I ultimately, I, I do think you'll see Bo Baldwin, and it's not just going to be for one year. It's going to be for two or three, I would say. Okay, can I play devil's advocate to that just for a second? And I want your rebuttal to that, okay? So, Cal's offense over the three years, include, up until this last game, all totaled up. Averaged 27.8 per game in terms of scoring in 2017, which was good for 73rd out of 130 Division One schools. Last season, we dropped to 21.5, which is good for 116th out of 130. This season, we're at 20.1, which is good for 115th out of 130. <laughs> yeah. So, it, with that considered, and the fact that we're basically pointing to maybe, what, five games this year that we're kind of pointing as examples of this could work, right? Am I am I right in saying about five? Is that enough evidence to support like a change in outlook? Or, or is there too much already piled up to say this was more of a blip than it was like a, a change in, in direction? The only rebuttal I can think of is, I, you know, my own perspective on it comes from believing that Wilcox is not going to make this change, more so than my own desire of either way. But at this point, I'm like, fine, fine. I mean, we came up with good game plan. Like, our game plans look good. Our play calling look good. Like, outside of a, you could get nitpicky about There's the a UCLA field. game. Yeah, but like. What oh no offensive coordinator is calling perfect games. Yeah. No one's out there being like, oh, I agree with every single one of those. Even with Sonny Dykes and the air raid and the offense that was top ten <coughs> every single year, we still had issues with how he called certain games and a lot a lot of issues with it in regards to like the run pass balance and how the O line played and and ultimately how fast we would get off the field sometimes. And so I think for, I would just I'm just kind of resigned to the fact that I think like. I think he's going to be given the opportunity to stay. I don't necessarily think that the offense has been mind-blowing, but I don't know. I think it was Bill Belichick that just said that when he sees coaches that are let go after two or three years, he's like, can't even implement a system in that time. They said they really need five to eight or five to ten. So we have a system in place that is getting all of these guys that have been younger into now 
upperclassmen, right? And we talked about this before. Upperclassmen, quarterback, upperclassmen, running back, upperclassmen at your two outside receivers, and then you have Makai in the slot. And, well, and, or, and Nico. Nico, who's upperclassman in the slot. You have upperclassmen across your O-line. I mean, your entire offensive line, line comes back. It's crazy how this flips next year. And all of a sudden, they're evolved in that same system. I would just say my only argument back as a fan would be continuity could probably do more than I think the incremental gain you're going to get from hiring a new coach because then it's learning a new system and you might have to take some time. And do we really want to worry about like having to go through all that? Or do we want to just kind of see, you know, take the last five games and see if we're starting to get that incremental benefit, you know, cause we do well out of conference. It's mainly the conference stuff that I think is tough. Yeah. I think the big thing here is that you have to understand like, Barring if you have a, a head coach who's like originally like a special teams coordinator, like you know one of those, you you see those coaches who are former special teams guys who become head coaches, like Chargers coach right now Anthony Lynn's former special teams coach, like he's better at you know dividing up like offense and defense and him taking like a more CEO type of overseer role. Uh, but usually when you see teams and if if you if you can prove me wrong on this, I'd be I'd be happy to learn, but. Um, if you have like a defensive coach and you look at like the defensive staff, whenever they make changes on the defensive side of the ball, there's not much drop off because he's still connected to that side or vice versa if he's an offensive coach. But usually when they make a coach on the other side that they're not usually heavily invested in or have experience in, it it, it tends to just be on opposite ends of the spectrum. Like it, it either... You make the change and you see a, a huge jump or a huge growth, right? And it kind of succeeds. Or you see it go flop in the opposite direction and it ends 10 years. So that's the thing for me too is I think we've seen enough to maybe say, hey, give him another year or two and see what he can do with the guys he brings in. Because clearly he's had some issues in terms of recruiting offensive guys to come play. And maybe it was a learning curve of how how he had to recruit from Division Two up into Division One, and who we could target and who we could go after. And just because we're not a powerhouse for football school, so we're gonna have to play somewhere in that middle ground of being like right under like the big name schools, but like above, you know, I don't want to say mean things, but some of the lower tier schools in in the Power Five conferences. And it's just about finding that middle ground, right? In, in terms of finding that steady flow of recruits. Of course, we'll jump into that high tier every once in a while and bring bring guys. But, you know, it's, I'm pretty sure there was a heavy learning curve in terms of that recruiting. And, it, you know, it didn't pay off the last few years. But clearly with this offensive group that we're bringing in this year, something's changed. Something's changed in, in, in order for these guys to commit to doing this despite looking at their offer lists. Some of these guys' offer lists are insane. Yeah. And like they've committed to us, so something's being told to them, and they're seeing something, and they're they're convincing them that this has a place for them to grow and to to succeed. We don't know what that is, but I I personally don't mind at this point to see that for another year and see what that project brings. So what I really like is to see us 
bring in someone like the way that Chris Peterson brought in Jeff Tedford to be a special advisor and the way that Herm Edwards brought in Marvin Lewis to be a special advisor like to the team someone that could specifically focus on offense I think that would be really helpful but I mean yeah a lot of the changes that I mean what we saw like our (laughs) we saw the wide receiver screen which we've been begging for we saw play action we saw you know RPOs yeah more RPOs less zone read runs like a lot of the adjustments that have been happening have been overwhelmingly positive. And so I'm just sort of like, Hey, like I think there's enough there where you're looking at technically Bo Baldwin's first class of guys that are becoming upperclassmen. Yeah. You know, we have a very short memory in college football and I think this is an opportunity to see, I mean, really like give him an opportunity to like with fully with his guys and see if it can go to we're not asking for much 30 points a game that'd be great give me the top 70 once again we're back to where we started all i said at the beginning of this year was we needed a top 80 offense and i thought we could get nine wins and i think that was very true we had a top 100 offense out of 130 under sorry 115 115th and we almost did pull off nine wins so you don't need much. Don't need much. But there is opportunity for improvement there. It'll and still that's be the ire of the fan base, I think, for a while. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Until he proves us otherwise. Like, if he comes out of the gate and drops, like, 45 in the first game next year against whoever we play next year. Do you remember when we played North Las Carolina? Vegas. Two years ago or last year? Our opening season with this opening game with yeah. the staff. Yeah. Patrick out. Laird, explosion. Uh, Ross Bowers. Demetrius Robertson. Like, what the, Yeah. All of us were like, what What the heck is this? Yeah. We were so confused. Jordan Duncan with that catch in the one-handed. In the, yeah. uh, but we got a lot to talk about, and we, we've got a pretty long offseason. But on to the questions. On to the questions. All right, here we go. Got my first one for you. Actually, well, you tweeted at us first saying, B&B, Bowling and Brandy podcast coming right up. That's pretty much what we're doing right now. <laughs> yeah, I'm about to take yeah. my last hit before the questions come yeah. in. All right, our dear friend Peter asks, what do you want the team to focus on for the owl game practices? You saw this tweet, right? <laughs> I think he misspelled bull and he spelled owl. <laughs> Considering the turnover on defense, should they focus on getting the next generation Cal D going or should they focus on winning the bowl game to show improvement over 2018? Well, you heard Shane Vereen said on the broadcast, yes. right? Is that the first two weeks... I mean, for us back in the day, I mean, the first week was like you just had it off. I mean, yeah. we didn't get your bodies right. Yeah, yeah, get healthy. Um, and then you know, depending on when the game really is, it's sort of you work backwards from the date. Um, so I imagine that every they're probably entirely off right now. Yeah, all the way until through next week. Well, they're probably in school, but the, yeah, they, no practice. I mean, no practice so, yeah. or anything. Just like chill until the bowl game is announced and then you work backwards from that date so if you get the 31st game then you probably have two two and a half weeks of either light like shells maybe not even pads at all um, probably might be just strength and conditioning too yeah and just and then like maybe working on some younger guys and i think it's it's a full it's not a matter of like young guys defense young guys offense it's both yeah and then you start getting into game prep so i think it's both i mean we want to win the bowl Yep. We won with the bowl. Like, no buts about it. I mean, I just remember how pissed Wilcox was after we lost the Cheez-It Bowl. He was furious. He wants the bowl win. So do the players. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. So do the players. And um, and a lot of these seniors, oh, my gosh, on defense, yeah, of course they want the bowl win. Yep. So I think it's a, you get both. 
Uh, but the big thing is, you know, getting one of those later slots and you start getting in some of your early commits. Like if you get these guys that come in early and can practice with the team a little bit, I mean, that's great. That's yeah. great. So it's all in all, everything's a positive. So it's kind of hard to say like, I, yeah, I think you're going to get everything you want out of that experience. And that's why it's so important to get it. Yeah, I think, you know, they're going to they're gonna get the young guys in for sure. Because if they haven't reached their four-game limit for redshirting, they're going to try and push these guys into the game to get a couple of reps in, in this one to kind of bleed into spring ball, you know? <coughs> so, yeah, I think that's, I think that's where it is. You know what's awesome about that is, remember how concerned we were about Drayden? Yeah. And we were really concerned that due to injury that we were going to have to burn. We might have to play him. And we didn't. No. And that is <laughs> so awesome. Yeah. He's gonna be so good next year. Yep, he's gonna be a, he's gonna be a stud. Um, we got next one from uh, Kevin on Twitter. If the O line and Brown stays healthy next season, was the possibility of him being a two thousand yard rusher, especially next year, having five straight home games? So the one change I wanted to make in the off season on the uh, the offensive staff is I wanted I want a new running back coach. I do like so. I think that needs to happen first. Yeah. 2,000 yard rusher. I mean, let's. Dude, that's one, like JJ Arrington good. Yeah. Java Best, JJ Arrington, like, you know, that. That's still yeah. territory. Yeah, that's Heisman, that's Heisman candidacy territory at that yeah. point, right? Yeah. That's JJ Taylor, like, for Wisconsin territory. So, I don't think you'll. I don't think we'll get to 2,000. You need to yards work on 1,000 first before two. Heck, even like a thousand three hundred first. Like we need a we need a break. Like we, because we had Pat Laird who got a thousand right, but we need someone to like get to that like thirteen hundred, fifteen hundred spot first. Then we can maybe think of getting to a two thousand. But I mean, the home schedule next year <coughs> is is nice. It's very nice. It's an even year, right? Which means we get Oregon here, we get Washington here, we get UCLA here, like. <coughs> oh, excuse me over there yeah a little bit <laughs> um i think the big thing with so it's not like i i think exactly you nailed it like 1300 yards um and then the thing with chris brown is like yeah if you looked at the ucla game you'd be like yeah for sure but we tended to get pretty bottled up against utah or against sc or against you know some of the bigger opponents um and that like oregon and you know some of that had to do with them not respecting the pass so it wasn't necessarily all of that but like asu for instance we kind of got bottled up so we would need to have more evidence of it being consistent across the, the season. entire season yeah. particularly the pac-12 i could see us having a really strong non-conference start and then, you know, once again, kind of hitting a harder time. Uh, but the nice thing about the running situation is you have depth. And you have, and the you have Deshaun Collins, yep. who I love. You, you do. <laughs> you, you very so much do. so good. <laughs> I think the big thing, too, with the with the running backs is we have – there. so you saw the moments where Chris Brown had open running lanes, right? And that's where he would get, like, the 12-yard run, the 14-yard run, the – the 38-yard run. Like, you saw the running lanes that the O-line opened up for him. But what can't happen is, like, the UC Davis game, where we just basically run him into a wall, 
and he like hits a guy at the line of scrimmage and then drags him for like two or right. three yards. Like if that's the way he's getting to, let's say, 100, 150 yards a game, that's not sustainable over 12 games yeah, at all. Right. He has to have like, you know, every game, like one of those like 40 yard bursts to get him into that, you know, you need the yards without the the physical like harm done to you. Our schedule right. is ridiculous. Next year. It's so nice. It? It's so nice. Well, it is and it isn't. Because it's like UNLV, which I would say is a win. TCU, I would maybe lean towards saying is a loss right now. At or Sorry, it's at home. I, it's a toss-up. Their offense is terrible. Toss-up. <laughs> so okay. then Cal Poly win. Then Arizona State at Arizona State. I think that's a win. You think that's a win? Yeah. We we hate we are terrible whenever we play in that damn state. That's true. <laughs> so then you have, Some if if that game ske- is scheduled for a five p.m. kickoff or a seven thirty kickoff, you know we're gonna yeah, lose that game. Yeah, you true. know we're gonna lose that game. All right, so then you have Oregon home, Stanford home. Yeah, early big game. No, no, no. Dates haven't been announced. Oh, thank God. Yeah, yeah. dates so haven't been pissed. announced. No, no, no. Schedule. But you know what our three out-of-conference games are. Oh, so this is just... I was like, dude, we're going no, 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 Oregon no, no. home, Stanford no, home, no, no, UCLA no. home, Utah home, Washington home, and then we go Oregon State on the road. No, 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 USC no, no. on the road. <laughs> so like, the schedule hasn't been announced, but the home and aways have been announced. That's who we're so. playing next year. I was like, that schedule is yeah. gnarly. <laughs> <laughs> we have five straight home games and then finish on three straight on the that's road. Probably, that's probably what Kevin was thinking too. But no, the schedule hasn't been announced yet. The home and away splits have. Gotcha. Uh, all right, next question. Have you ever seen Wilcox is angry as after the Weaver unsportsmanlike conduct? Pretty sure the camera caught a few f bombs. That's from our friend James Lynn on Twitter. I don't think you've ever seen me that angry. Hi. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes, we've seen Wilcox that angry. Have you been or watched any of his press conferences after a loss? He's furious. <laughs> However, that's the most that's easy, the most verbal. Yeah, it's the easy, most easily detectable f bombs. And, like, you know, just harsh language I think I've seen. Yeah, they were really, like, he enunciated. <laughs> like, it, he just, he enunciated every letter. <laughs> you just, you heard it. You heard it from a mile away. I mean, you feel for the guy. Yeah. What, the game is was won. Yeah. Even, even, I was watching the game with my parents, and my mom caught him doing it on screen, and she looks at me and goes, he just cussed, didn't he? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, yeah, he definitely did. Uh, you got a comment from uh, at not Chase Garbers. Since uh, no Garbers question this week, just a comment that I appreciate all you guys do for Cal fans. Heart, heart, heart. Thank you for that. <laughs> so kind. So yeah. kind. Uh, Scott Morita sends us this. Do you do you feel that the recent offensive success against Stanford and UCLA is more a result of their bad defenses of our, or our offenses improving? In addition. Does the recent offensive success save Baldwin's job? If not, any insights on potential OC candidates? So I think we've pretty much answered all of these. But I want to throw it to you to just say, just because we kind of talked about the offensive coordinators that are on the market now after being uh, dismissed or fired. If we were to make a change, are there any guys out there right now that are on the open market? Not guys that are currently attached to a team, but on the open market that you're kind of like, that's a guy that I would probably put on my priority list. Rob Likens. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, without a doubt. Rob Likens. Yeah. Easy. He's been here. He's coached here. He likes it here. He likes it here. He knows how everything works here. And he's a pretty good recruiter. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We could get some really awesome wide receivers. Um, 
He's a very good wide receiver coach. And he was the quarterback's coach this year, and he did a phenomenal job with Jane Daniels yep. over the course of his rookie season. So, Yeah, he, he'd be high if not. I mean, I think, uh, was it Zach Hill? Boise State? Yep. Uh, That's who Adams wants yeah. really, really badly. He's really, he'd be a good fit. Previous ties to to Wilcox. So, um, yeah, I mean, I think that would be great too. But I think Likens is top of my list. Just get like the recency bias. Like he was with us during Dike. He was so personable. Um, he's such a good recruiter for. He's you know, a really a nice their, dude. Yeah. Like just generally just a really nice dude. Yeah. And then on that HBO special, he was awesome on the Football in 60. Yeah, I highly recommend people who like don't know what type of person he is. Like, go watch uh, ASU's media availability heading into the Cal game, and he talks about his uh, like experience here. And the big thing he says, he says he regrets it to this day, like not sticking around at Cal, like not because of what other job opportunities he got, but just because he's because he's the guy that initially coached guys like. Treggs and Harper and Anderson and Davis and Powell and Harris and all those guys. They were like all freshmen. He recruited Trevor Davis. Yeah. Yeah. It was all those guys. And so he wasn't able, he stuck through the one in 11 season and he wasn't able to see these guys blossom and get and see them do that bowl game. Right. Like get, see their, the, the fruits of like their labor and two years of intense hard work to get to success and some recognition and so he said it killed him because he couldn't be with be with those guys. So I highly recommend you go watch that because you just you feel the emotion like through the screen. Uh, next one is from Alex Khalifa, uh, one of our writers on the site. Christopher Brown had arguably his best conference game on Saturday. What was was that mostly a factor of the Bruins defense? You want to take this one? You take it. Yes and no. I think it was a factor of the Bruins defense because that defensive line and like. As we said, everyone just looked like they didn't want to play anymore. The second thing is our offensive line was just just pushing them around. And maybe that goes hand in hand, that they didn't want to, you know, they weren't putting in 100% of the effort. But at the same time, like, the offensive line was just blowing open running lanes for the dude. Like, if you go on Avi's Twitter, there's a screenshot of, I think, Christopher Brown's 38-yard run. It's like you, you could fit a freight train through there. Like, <laughs> that running lane was huge. Huge. So I think let's go back real quick to the question that was asked. Like, was Cal's offense kind of seemingly getting better a matter of playing opponents that were worse? Yeah. Uh, the answer is yes. You know, for sure. This offense does a lot better when it's not a top 50 defense that they're going up against. And Stanford is, I think they were like mid 60s to 70s. UCLA is awful. And USC was, you know, about 50. And so we had a harder time against USC, but not like the hardest time. Uh, Wazoo's, you know, obviously really bad. So, like, yes, it's a factor of opponent, but also we really like the scheme. And I think that's what matters more is like liking the scheme, not just seeing the same thing just work a little bit better because the opponent was worse. And I think that was the progression we saw in Bo Baldwin this year that we weren't expecting to see. Um, and so, yeah, uh, UCLA's defense was really bad. Their secondary was awful. Our offensive line push was incredible. And Chris Brown looked like an absolute monster out there, just shredding tacklers and just, but, you know, it's hard to say. Was he just playing harder than everybody else? Maybe. But I think that guy has a ton of talent. He wasn't <coughs> healthy all year long. Um, and that hurt us a little bit. And now you go into next year and you have him back and you have somebody behind him like a Collins that, 
can really spell him and not have to put the entire load on one player, like a la Patrick Laird, it's a much better recipe for us to be really successful. Well, the thing with Chris Brown, too, is this was his first year as the starter. Like, making that jump from high school to college and then becoming that number one running back and playing through 12 games, like that gauntlet of 12 games, is extremely tough on your body. Because you're jumping from, what, eight games in high school to 12 games, including a couple weeks of bye. So, just his body probably just wasn't used to taking that many hits in, like, consecutive weeks. So I think that it probably improves going into next year. Like he'll he'll know what to expect. He knows what it takes and how much he's gonna have to take. And sometimes he's just gonna have to go down on certain plays and not fight through to get extra yards. And it's that experience of learning when to do that and when not to. Situational awareness. So experience, man. Big time experience. I think he could develop too more as a pass as a receiver. Yeah. That definitely out of the backfield. Yeah. Definitely. Because Dancy oh, that Dancy catch. Where he like flipped shoulders because he was looking over outside because he thought it was coming outside, but chased through inside because of the DB was floating out, and then he like changed his head direction, retracted. It was sick. Like flipped his body, caught it. Like it was a great, great catch. Greg Ordio on Twitter sends us uh, bull prep allows the staff to work on young guys, work out young guys. Who will they be focusing on to fill gaps? Weep, uh, a la Weaver, and add more playmakers on our O and D. I think it's pretty similar to the question we got asked earlier. Yeah. Um, what do you think, Rob? What do I think? I think it'll be across the board. I think you know what you have from your starters now. Um, you know what you get from, especially the seniors. You know what you're going to get from Weaver. You know what you're going to get from Ashton Davis. You know what you're going to get from Jalen. Uh, you know what you're going to get from Luke Beckett and Zionde. Granted, they, they most likely will be here for another year. Um, so you know all that. I think this this time you basically let them coach the guys that will be taking their spots next year. Um, I, the one cool thing that they always do in practice, I don't know if they used to do that with the, when you are with the team, but <clears throat> one thing I've noticed is if, if there's a new guy uh, playing, like when they do walkthroughs, a coach will be basically attached to like the backside of their hip and like telling them, all right, here's where you shift left. This is what you should be looking for. Like he's always talking, like leaned in, like talking into his helmet, like helping him see what he has to do in this play call in this set, and like 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 physically like moves him into the spots that he needs to go and things like that. Um, so I think you'll I think having that probably with these guys is big time because Coin talks about this saying like he was basically walking around with Jordan Kanasich the entire time, like trying to pick his brain and learn the position and what it takes to play with Weaver and all that. I think that's the exact same for the next guy. The next guy is going to be, whether it be Ancelados or Tattersall, hopefully he's healthy for next year, uh, or whoever it is. I think it'll be a couple of guys that'll basically be attached to Weaver at the hip, like walking through walkthroughs with him, like take, trying to absorb what his what Weaver's instincts are, right? And then gain that experience through like just the mental prep and then, you know, bleed into maybe live tackling practice or whatnot, so... That's probably what they're going to do, I, I suspect. Got another one here. Sam Fielder asks, any recruiting nuggets? I think we kind of talked about that a little bit. Um, because of it's so early now with all of the coaching changes. Whenever there's coaching changes, that automatically means that there are going to be recruits back on 
the recruiting market. And it's a matter of who we decide to go after and what recruits come. Now that football season is over and high school football season has been over a couple weeks, you're going to start to get a lot of official visits from kids that aren't committed yet or are opening up their recruitment because of coaching changes. So, yeah, I think it'll be a couple weeks, like maybe the week leading into, or probably starting next week is probably when you'll start to hear some more things about Cal has offered this new guy or Cal has entered the picture again for this kid or... Um, you know, he's coming in for an unofficial or an official visit. Like, you'll start hearing that news a little bit more. So, the one that I, we talked about today was a Texas commit that just decommitted. Yep. Van Billinger? Yeah. And he's, as a, you, he's from Utah. From Utah. And as you pointed out, um, he if is... I'm, yeah, if I'm not mistaken, he just started following Cal Football Recruiting's Twitter handle. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Please make it happen. <laughs> Please make it happen. But I looked down the list, and he had already been following some Cal guys. And he had a Cal, he has a Cal – or he had had a Cal offer given to him already. So that's, that relationship – That's the exact type of player. Yeah. Like D-lineman. That relationship's already there. Like that's who we need to go get. We need to beat Utah out and just say, hey, like you can play much earlier with us than with Utah. Yeah. And by the way, we're going to compete every year and have a great defense. Yep. Are you signed yet? <laughs> we got another one from a uh, Jai. Uh, he says expectations for 2020 season. I personally have high hopes. Seeing what Utah did this year, I think we can do that. I don't know if Utah this year is a good comparison to where Cal will be next year. Um, that is years in the making under uh, what's years. it? Co- uh, Coach Winningham. That's years under the making under him. So I don't think we we have that depth built up in order to make that jump. Nor do we have the coaching consistency, consti- consistency, to to make that up yet. I'm gonna say um, seven wins for next year. Yep. Wow, you you come down from nine. Yep. I'm gonna jump up and I'm gonna say we're gonna get get eight eight wins next year. I'm just gonna say seven. Wow. So that way I can be surprised. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not leading the cloud nine, but it sounds like you're leading cloud nine again. I'm leaning towards. I mean, you might get there by the time we do our preseason yeah, pod. I'll, I'll, I'll get there. <laughs> I'll definitely convince myself of the two additional wins. By yeah, the we got we got a good eight months for you to oh, ramp, yeah. ramp back easily. Up. We could land a couple recruits, and all of a sudden it'll be like, oh boy, <laughs> <laughs> cloud nine wins cloud is back. Nine, cloud ten, <laughs> platform ten, please. Uh, all right, we got another one from. Sh- uh, I'm gonna butcher this name, but Sh- Shavit Shavit Karen Shavit Karen. Uh, why did the defense regress this year? Do you expect it to get better or decline in 2020? He also has a question about uh, what slash who do you see the coaching staff going after or transfer-wise? We don't know what the transfer market looks like right now because we won't know, if, especially with grad transfers, you just don't know until probably like till January-ish or even later. So, yeah, you, there's that's a big question mark. You just won't know to the end. But let's talk about the defense. Did they regress? Why, do you, why do you think the defense regresses here? Why do I think the defense defense re- regressed this year? Yeah. Uh, injuries, guys playing out of position, um, teams getting adjusted to our schemes and having more video to break down on our schemes. Um, I think that's that's pretty much it. I think teams adjusted to what we do on defense, especially like how we mix up our coverage and disguise a lot of stuff. And they picked out a few things that they could, they could identify, 
and we just weren't successful in in executing. Yeah, so I want to look up a little bit of like where we landed on S and P plus. So I'm there's, gonna do that real fast. But there's one more thing too on the defense that I'll talk about while you look that up is we missed out on a lot of 50-50 chances. And I don't mean that by turnovers. I mean that by, like, you know, Luke Beckett gets into the backfield and has a chance to take down Jaden Daniels, and he misses him by, like, like a fingernail. You know? Just as, like, a half second too late in reaching out and grabbing his jersey. Or Evan Weaver goes into the backfield to take down... Like, I, the ASU game is just so vivid for me. Like, Evan Weaver goes in and then misses the tackle just by, like, a sheer... A couple inches, and that takes down the tracking... the Or the the backtracking defender and it lets Jaden, you know, run for like 20 yards, you know, like it's just those types of little plays that could go either way, but we just didn't get there fast in time or we just didn't complete it. Um, And that's probably what led to a lot of this. And I mean, we're being a dead horse here, but we've talked about the interception stats so much and how like, yeah, they haven't, they didn't intercept the ball as many as other teams or as last year, but that stat is purely dependent upon the other quarterback throwing the ball wrong or us jumping a route. And it just didn't happen as much this year. Yeah. But I don't, I don't know why S&P Plus is so hard to find these days. Well, it's Ever yeah. since it moved over to ESPN, it's yeah. impossible to find. Yeah. Uh, but I think that the defense is... I think we just dropped out of the top 50. Defensively? Yeah. After... Yeah, so it's a pretty substantial drop. Uh, what did you say? Like to- top twenty to top fifty? Yeah. Um, I don't. I mean, I think ultimately, like that's why I sort of said, like I think there's some things that we could. I mean, we saw Cam Bynum and Elijah Hicks kind of get beat multiple times, and we thought that those guys were pretty unbeatable on the outside. And I think like they have a good chance of sticking around to, you know, work on that before going to the league. And maybe some scout comes in and says, yeah, you look pretty good right now, but if you stuck around one more year, you'd be in that top maybe two-round type category. And so I think there was clear, you know, a little bit of regression in kind of single coverage on the outside. Uh, The D-line really didn't wake up until the end of the year. So the D-line was really a big issue for us, was not being able to get pressure. So we were forced to send additional guys. And when we did defenses found opportunities in the middle of the field and coin as good as he was for being a first year player of jc took a while to kind of get up to speed and so which is one thing we worried about right yeah and and that's to be expected like you're not going to have an evan weaver you know he's a once in a generational type of player um so i think the defense has an opportunity to be more creative next year and get more guys in so that we're actually cycling more players this year You'll notice, like we stuck with our guys almost all year. We actually got pretty fortunate, I thought, in regards to injuries. Yep, because we ran with the same guys for so long, and with games were so close, they had to play most of the game. Next year, we'll be forced to actually cycle through more players, and I think that'll be good for everybody. And I think we have strong underclassmen that when they see the field, they'll do really well. So I think like. There is a reason to be excited for the defense getting better, and I think it's a matter of, you know, I, I, these things ebb and flow. Like 
preseason predictions are what they are. Like our DB, our safeties were amazing this year. Ashton, like so when you talk about the DBs as a unit, our DBs were amazing because our safeties were fantastic. But at the same time, like you know, our corners could be better. And then next year our safeties might not be as good because we're going to lose, you know, and but the DBs will still be like they'll be really good. Yeah. <laughs> it comes and goes. I mean, the one point I'll end I'll make to end is the the defensive line. I think the biggest change was when Maldonado came back. Yeah. Because as soon as Maldonado came back, it pushed all the guys off of like an overachieving assignment. Like you didn't need to have Brett Johnson running the nose guard over the center anymore. You could move him outside a little bit. You didn't need Luke Beckett to play the other defensive tackle spot. You could move him back to defensive end for uh, for plays. Like it shifted everyone out that you can get a bit more rotation and ha- so basically it's not more Maldonado like as a player it's more of that role like you need the guy who's who's a big heavy dude that just eats up a guard in a center for you but if you have multiple guys that can do that like when you line up Maldonado and Brett Johnson inside the offensive line on the opposing team has a very big conundrum (laughs) like as the center do you shift and do you push off guys off to the tackle then you're gonna have a free edge rusher that means you have to have a tight end or a running back stay into pass protect and like it's just it creates matchup problems, which it did over the last few games. Cam Good's gonna be a nightmare. Next Cam year. Good is gonna be an absolute nightmare next year. And it, imagine if we bring in, let's say, a guy like your dude who just who you just mentioned, or like a Xavier Carlton, who's who's one of my guys that I really want from you. He's from California, but moved to Utah last year, or and played high school football his final year of high school football in Utah this year. Chances on him, from what it looks like, looks very slim, but. I really hope we bring him because <laughs> dude is looks like an absolute monster. So I bring him at defensive end, like, oh god, like we're building for the future now. Yeah, that's what I was gonna say. So I mean, if we're ending the pod right now, uh, yeah, we are. That we are. Soon. UCLA is not going to a bowl game. No, and we beat them. Yep. Stanford's not going to a bowl game, and we beat them. Yep. So let's go after and get some of these top recruits because when I was watching the UCLA game, it's like watching every single four-star recruit that we went after and lost to. Yep. So now is the time to get these guys and, uh, you know, the guys that can have an impact. And I think, you know, we will see transfers. The transfer portal has never been as popular as it is right now. We're going to see transfers in and out of the program. That's how it's going to be. Um, because this is the state of college football, and there will be an opportunity for us to bring some transfers in. Um, I mean, we brought in Ben Hawk Schreider, yeah. and look how that helped us out. Big That's time. great. So there are guys on the market that are going to be available for us. It's just a matter of finding them and the timing. Just, and we don't have to look for a quarterback for the first time in three years, I think. We're going to have four scholarship quarterbacks on our roster come August. So great. So great. We managed this year with pretty much two. I mean, because Spencer was the third guy, but did we We don't really want like a true freshman to be like thrust on as the backup. Like now we have, now we have uh, Garbers with Modster with Brash, who will be a sophomore along with the two freshmen. So sorry, my mistake. We'd have five. Brash will be a redshirt freshman. Yes, Brash, Brash will be a redshirt freshman. But we'll have five scholarship quarterbacks now. Yeah. Which gives you depth, which gives you, which gives you known quantity talent, if your starter goes down, and more options, right? Like even last year we were basically playing with two quarter, 
only two scholarship quarterbacks. Yeah. For, so. <laughs> for sure. I mean, Chase, Forrest, bless his heart. Yeah. But, yeah. Um, Woo. I guess signing day is next. Yeah. So, close out. <laughs> Always be closing. Let's Always do this. Always be closing. Coffee is for closers, or brandy in, in our case. But. And brandy is saying it's time to close the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, that wraps it up for us. Uh, we might be back for signing day. We might not, uh, but we know for a fact we'll be back bowl week. Uh, we might, Maybe we'll do like a 30-minute preview pod going into bowl week, depending on who we play and where we're at. And we'll, But we'll definitely do one after the bowl game and all the festivities. But uh, for now, we'll be signing off. Uh, I might be back with some basketball stuff in a couple weeks. Uh, but... That's pretty much it. Um, you can find me at Rob11HWNG on Twitter. You can find Andy at AndyJBeastMode. You can find the uh, podcast as Twitter account at CGBBearCast. You can find all our stuff at CaliforniaGoldenBlogs.com. And with that, happy holidays. And as always, go Bears. We got the axe.